Jesus is his name. See the crowds adore him, lay their palms before him. Jesus will our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from Mark chapter 11 verses 7 through 10. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This is God's word to God's people. Thanks be to God. Oh. 
A book came out a few years ago, uh, it was 2013 actually when it was published by Reza Aslan. The book was called Zealot, The Life and Times of Jesus of Nazareth. Pretty popular book back in, in those years, a lot of folk talked to me about it. It's written by a religious professor, you see him on occasion on TV sometimes making commentaries. He was reared in, uh, in Persia, he was reared as a Muslim, his family emigrated here 
to California um, during, his, <clears throat> during his high school years. Uh, he became a Christian and uh, went to a, a Christian school for college and then ended up getting a, uh, a PhD in religious studies. And during this pilgrimage, found himself um, more comfortable back in the religion of his origin. He offers a new perspective, one in a series of perspectives that have been brought to us on the life of the historical Jesus. You may recall that for like 200 years or so uh, in our faith tradition, there have been a number of books that keep trying to, trying to figure out what Jesus really was like in, in the real life now and here and there of his life. And so this, this search for the historical Jesus from Schweitzer's time has been a uh, a concern for us. And this book is in that vein of searching for the historical Jesus. Aslan's uh, point is that Jesus was a run of the mill failed zealot who became Messiah due to the, the psychological cognitive dissonance of his followers. Aslan's right. Jesus wasn't a very good zealot. The problem with Aslan's argument is that Jesus didn't intend to be a zealot, at least as far as I'm concerned. He intended to be Messiah, and at that, he did pretty good, though not in the way that some of his followers expected it to unfold. And that is what this whole week is about, our Holy Week, taking a look at how Jesus' last days unfolded and how they created a problem or a scandal for his followers, from Jesus' triumphant entry on Palm Sunday through his arrest and trial and crucifixion and burial to his triumphant resurrection on Easter morning. It is an incredible week. Not a very successful week if you're looking for a zealot who would overthrow Roman rule with a sword, but a wildly successful one if you're looking for a Messiah who will broker your peace with God and help to birth a new world order. Jesus was true to who Jesus was. And we want to highlight that today and invite ourselves to consider that his integrity challenges us to be people of integrity. People fully authentic in our lives of discipleship. We think about Jesus' entrance to Jerusalem and the things that are happening this, 
this Holy Week, and we recognize that Pontius Pilate and Herod Agrippa are two key players. Scripture brings this forward to us, and, and thoughtful folk wonder, well, I wonder how they got into town. When did they show up? And if you think about it, it's not taking too much liberty to suggest that maybe they entered today also. Maybe they arrived a week early. Pontius Pilate, the, the governor of the area, coming over from Sicilia Maritime along the coast there, coming down the coast a little bit and then coming across the road we still take today that, that comes in from the coast and goes to Jerusalem. He would have entered since his palace was there by the Jaffa Gate. He would have entered there at the Jaffa Gate. Pontius Pilate with hundreds of soldiers along with him coming to Jerusalem because this was Passover week and to avoid any problems, best to control the crowds. And then we think of Herod Agrippa. We think of him luxuriating in his palace in Tiberias up by the Sea of Galilee. You know, he's the titular king of the Jews, and so it being Passover, he would have come down too. He would have come down probably the River Jordan path, would have hung a right at Jericho and come in from that side. Probably Fortress Antonia, he probably would have entered the Damascus Gate. Herod Agrippa, with his soldiers, his flag bearers, his visible markers of power and authority with him, coming down like a good Jew to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. Both rulers highlighting their power with signs of authority, backed by instruments of violence, lest you thought a little different of their intent. And then maybe through what's called the Stevens Gate, or maybe up through the south comes Jesus in a procession down the Mount of Olives on a lowly donkey, not a war horse. Reminiscent riding on that donkey of David. Reminiscent of what Zechariah said in 9.9. Jesus with the crowds waving palm branches of celebration. Joyful, not with looks of fear on their face. People shouting, Hosanna, save, save us now, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Using the word Lord to mean God, not Caesar. The contrast between these two types of processions is, is stark. 
two worldly leaders and their show of force, one spiritual leader and his show of humility. It's a good contrast. There's an integrity about Jesus that we see evidenced here even in the stagecraft of his entrance over against the rulers of his day. When we think about the procession, we think about what happened before it. We think about Jesus being up there on Mount Olivet, weeping over the city of Jerusalem. God would so want to just gather them in like a mother hen. Jesus crying over the people because they would choose the sword over the unclenched fist. They would choose hate over love. They would not embrace the things that would make for peace. And following the procession, we're told that Jesus has his time of cleansing the temple and, and some teaching moment with the religious leaders of the day that are gathered there, pointing out to them that they might be able to do just a little bit better at practicing what it is that they preach to everyone else. Sharing the parable of the last judgment the anticipation of the end times that they felt was upon them. And then Thursday, then comes Thursday, and we have this servanthood illustration by Jesus of washing his disciples' feet and, and the morphing of the Passover meal into the, the first Lord's Supper and the Gethsemane prayer where Jesus is accepting God's will for him, even if it is sacrificial. Jesus stayed the course of being the humble and the sacrificial servant. There are a lot of options this week in which he could have just ducked left or ducked right and disappeared. He didn't. He stayed to his course. Even though being Christ, he could have rallied all the forces of heaven to exert his will for his betterment and comfort. He didn't. He walked the path that was set before him, feeling that that was the best way to communicate God's unwieldy love for all of us. even in the face of suffering, abandonment, humiliation, and ultimately death, this is why I say 
Jesus was a leader with integrity. He remained true to the good he was to be for the world and for ourselves. A failed zealot? Well, you bet. Yet a wonderful Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. The crowds that celebrated this day and cried, Hosanna, those that uh, followed his every step up in the Galilee, all of them. They heard his message. They were touched by his miracles, perhaps, even. I'm thinking they probably embraced it all for a while, I'm guessing. But it seems that they discarded it all. And I wonder, I, I just really wonder about that. I, I want to get into the search for the real crowd and find out what was going on for these folk. What was the deal? Was it too hard? Was it just too hard to actually love other people, to be forgiving to them, to be bearers of mercy? Is that just too hard for us humans? We, we just can't do that? We can't get our minds around that? We can't get our lives around loving each other? What's the deal? What's the problem? I know, maybe it just didn't really seem to be effective. You know, it wasn't pragmatic advice. It wasn't really the way the world works. You don't, you don't beat back evil with good. You don't defeat hate with love. That's not how the world works. We all know the world doesn't work that way. What's wrong with this Jesus? This fool, huh? What's wrong with this guy? Is that what they're thinking? I'm just wondering, what are they thinking? I wonder if it's things that we would think that had them turn their back and walk a different way than his way. I'm guessing that the, the turnaround of the crowd must have been really disheartening to Jesus. I'm guessing that the abandonment of his disciples must have really stung Jesus. I'm guessing that's true, believing the incarnation. I'm guessing that's true. Yet, just a few short days later, Jesus, as resurrected Christ, is rehabilitating Peter. Jesus is rehabilitating all the disciples. Jesus is 
living out again that love that he was talking about is extending again that mercy that was core to who he was from God to us. That's the power of the resurrection in those days and in our days. That it brings forward to those who open themselves up to it, who ask for it, a redemption, a rebirth, a new life, a second chance, a thousandth chance. And those disciples, what a sorry lot, they, they regained their courage. And they renewed their faith. And they went on to serve with such a distinction that 20 centuries later, we know their names and we celebrate them. We name our kids after them. They became people of integrity. They became people who lived authentic faith, even unto their deaths. This grace that transformed even their lives is available to transform our lives, whatever miry bog we seem to be trapped and sinking in. Like the crowds, like the disciples, we too, we know it. Lent helps us to identify it. Can lose our bearings. Can lose the strength of our faith. We too, yes, we too can be hypocritical, saying one thing and doing another. We too can be really, really passionate about things that make no difference. And we can be really lukewarm about things that make a world of difference. We, too, like them, can become thoughtless and careless about the important things of life, the things that make for peace, the things that heal and bring forward right relationships, the things that restore the good, the things that build this new creation that God is all about. A leader with integrity, I would suggest our Lord and Savior deserves followers of integrity with authentic faith. And as we come to our last week of Lent, as your hopeful pastor, I have to 
ask, what about us? Us, what about us? How are we doing? Are we getting there? Are we shucking off those things that get in the way? Are we laying down the baggage? Are we opening up the hearts and the minds? Our opportunity to be as authentic a disciple, as genuine in our faith as we can, is presented every day of our lives. But here now on this Sunday, in this season of Lent, even more so, we're reminded that we have a blessed opportunity to be different and to make a difference in concert with the will of God for us humans. Jesus invites us to join that party and to shout, Hosanna, over that agenda. Amen.